Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, and we'll take another week and get back into Romans, Lord willing, next week. But I've been thinking recently, and, and again, a lot going on in our lives and many of your lives and in the world, and I was thinking about how, you know, the, the COVID stuff has caused us to, in many ways, put some things on hold. And even some, from time to time, church, right? From time to time, we, we haven't been, been able to meet together. But, but just because the world might be crazy, just because there are things in the world that are hindering us from certain things we want to do, uh, does not mean our Christian faith is put on hold, Right? I mean, there's never a t- is there a time where your faith should be put on hold? There's never a time, is there? Um, as a matter of fact, when we go through difficult seasons, our faith is probably even more important, isn't it? To hold on to that faith during the, the troubles and the trials. And I was talking to somebody this week, and we were talking about how the church in most of the world, when they go through hard times, especially persecution, the church usually ends up growing. The church is growing faster and more um, genuinely in countries that are experiencing persecution than the church is growing here in America in many places. And so I want to just challenge us today with one verse from Luke chapter 9, one verse from the mouth of Jesus, uh, something that Jesus said very plainly, very, very clearly, and just to remind us that we need our faith now more than ever. And though from time to time we might put some things on hold, we should never put following Jesus on hold. Luke 9.23, if you found it, say word. Y'all look up there with me and read it with me. Read it with me out loud, you ready? And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Discipleship is following Jesus in faith, love, and obedience. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a Christian, then you have at some point in your life decided by the power of God in you, I'm going to follow after Jesus. That's what we do. That's what Jesus calls us to do in this verse here. And, and I was, as I was meditating on this verse, I, re, I was reminded of my own life and just how as a, a, a young kid, 12-year-old kid, 13-year-old kid, I had been to church some and heard the gospel some and the Lord began to work in my heart and convict me and I was in my bedroom one night thinking about my, my lost state and how I was a sinner and God just kind of opened my eyes to that and, and I remember, I'll never forget, just taking a moment to stop and, and just surrender my life to Christ and just pray to Him and ask Him to forgive my sin and I turned from my sin and, and I put my faith in Him and I, I just had this moment and many of you have had these, these, this moment before where you just give your life to Jesus and but I remember, again, being a 12 and 13-year-old kid, you know, who hadn't been to church for a whole, a whole a bunch of times, I didn't know everything. I didn't know what it meant to really follow Jesus. I just knew I was lost and needed to be saved, right? And it wasn't until a few years later, and I was probably like 18 years old, that my youth pastor began to really preach verses like this to me. And he began to say, he, yeah, you, you might be a Christian, but, but are you really following Jesus like you're supposed to? You're, it, it costs something to follow Jesus. It costs these things here. And, and through his ministry in my life, I begin to see that, wow, 
being a Christian is not just, you know, not just your salvation, but it's God working out your salvation throughout the rest of your life, and God working in your life, and and this is a verse that has been uh, just dear to me over the years because of that, and I want to share it with you today, and, and these three things that a disciple does, three things that a disciple does, number one, very plainly there, Jesus said to them all, if anyone will come after me, he must first deny himself. This is hard. It's a hard thing. We live, uh, my generation anyway, is a me first generation. I've told you, I think I've said this before. I remember in seventh grade, we had a class called Meology, all about me. I don't remember what they called us, but I guess it was about me. Meology, the study of me. But we're all about me. We, it's all about us and our social media stuff, and people get on there. It's all about you know, me, me, me. And I'm not against selfies, but we take selfies and put them on there. But, but and so I, I was thinking about, like, it must have been easier for those first century people to follow Jesus, right? They didn't have all the distractions we have. They didn't have phones and Internet and all the things we have to distract us. But is that the case? Did the first century, did the, all those people in the first century just all follow Jesus? Only a few did. I'm going to tell you at the end of this about a story about when there were thousands of people around Jesus and they all left him but a few. And so we can't make that excuse to say, well, they had it easier back then. No, back then they did not want to deny themselves. And today we know people do not want to deny themselves. I shared a clip on Facebook this week of a famous pastor's wife. And um, I hope you can go back and watch it. It's pretty funny. But the first part of the clip is this pastor's wife on stage, and she's telling people, you should come to church and worship God, but don't do it for God. Do it for yourself. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's insane. And you need to go watch the clip. It's funny at the end. But her whole mindset is flipped, right? Her mindset is us first, and, she's, and their church attracts thousands of people because of that. But it's this idea of me, 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 putting me first. When Jesus says so plainly here, if you'll come after him, you must deny yourself. I've told you all this story before, too. I was driving down the road on Highway 84 West, just outside of Laurel, near the Chevron. If anybody knows where that is, I know Jesse knows. And I'm driving, and I, and I had been studying the scripture. My youth pastor had been teaching me, investing in me, and it hit me. Wow, life is not about me. And it took me, I guess I was 19, 20 years old at this point. It took me 20 years to realize that, wow, life's not about me. But that's a, that's, a, that's a realization that we all must come to if we're going to follow Jesus. If we're going to be his disciples, we must understand it's not about us. We must understand what John the Baptist did when he said, Jesus must increase, but I must what? Decrease. And if we don't have that kind of mindset, then we don't have the mind of Christ. Right? Because it wasn't it Christ that, uh, who said, I did not come to be, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus had this mindset. Philippians 2 says that, that we should have the mind that, that Christ had, who, though he was God, came in the form of a servant and humbled himself, becoming a man, and became obedient by giving his life on the cross. Jesus humbled himself. Did he have to do that? Did he need to do that? God, the glorious Son of God, no, but he humbled himself for our sake, and we must humble himselves for his glory as we follow him. James 4, 7 says, submit 
yourselves, therefore, to God. The call to Jesus, the call to follow Jesus is a call for us to surrender, to sacrifice, and even to suffer at times. Look, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, very simple. He said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, we know that, right? It's grace, it's a free gift. But to truly follow Jesus costs. It is costly. That's why Jesus said in another place, you must count the cost if you're going to follow me. Have you done that this morning? Have you denied yourself? Have you put yourself on the back burner, made yourself second so that God might be first in your life? Let's look at the second thing a disciple must do is he, must, he or she must take up his cross daily. Take up your cross daily. I was thinking about some symbols that are famous. Like if you see a little swoosh, what's that? Nike, right? Stands out. Everybody knows that. Um, if you see, if you're going on the highway and you see two big golden arches, what's that? McDonald's. And you don't stop, you keep going. It's gross. <laughs> My least favorite restaurant, I think. But, but there's other famous symbols. We're thinking about some this morning on the, on the drive down here. The Mickey Mouse symbol. If you see that, you know it's Mickey Mouse. How about the Batman symbol? If you see the Batman symbol, guys, y'all know that's, that's Batman. A lot of symbols out there, of course, the Statue of Liberty is a great symbol. Um, but what do you think is the most famous symbol of all time? The cross. Well, I think so. I, I think probably so, that the cross is the most famous symbol of all time. And even now, I'm trying to look out here. Is anybody wearing a cross on their necklace this morning? That's okay if you are. I think that's a great thing. I'm fine with it. Some of you have cross, maybe cross on a shirt. Uh, cross tattoos, you don't have to show it this morning, but you might have one. Um, but crosses are out there, and, and I saw a few weeks ago in Prentice County, they lifted this huge cross. Did y'all see that? It cost like $200,000. Well, I guess it does cost, <laughs> but anyway, they've lifted this amazing huge cross. When people drive by, they'll see it, but, um, but the cross is a, is a very important symbol and a very meaningful symbol, I think, to us that are Christians, but can I tell you that in Jesus' day, people weren't wearing crosses around on their shirts? In Jesus' day, the cross was a symbol of death. And if you saw someone carrying a cross, or maybe the, the horizontal part of a cross, you knew that was a criminal, and he was going to be killed on that cross. And so it wasn't something they really, they really wore like that. It, it, actually, some of you know this, the early Christian symbol was not a cross. You know what it was? It was a fish right? The, the Jesus fish, they call it. And it was, it was that way because it, it was an acronym for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, Son of God, something like that. It was an acronym. So early Christians used these fish uh, symbol as, as their early Christian symbol. But at some point, I'm not sure when, the cross became the, the symbol for Christianity. And I think we know it's important. We sing about it. We just sang about it a moment ago. I cling to the old rugged cross. And of course, it's not the cross that the big deal is. It, it's the Christ, the one who hung on the cross. That's the big deal. And so look, it says, if you'll come after me, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross. When Jesus calls someone to follow, he bids that person to come and die. He bids us to follow. When, when Jesus went to these early disciples and said, follow me, 
at some point, they finally realize, wow, following Jesus is costing me my life and might cost me even in death. So when you follow Jesus in this way, when you take up your cross, it's a matter of identity. You identify with Christ. And I've said it before, but in our day, you can do it kind of easy. You can wear a cross t-shirt around town and nobody may say a word to you. But in Jesus' day, if you said, I'm, I followed that guy, I followed Jesus, you could be in trouble. You could be arrested. You could even be killed. I mean, who was, who was the most powerful, emotional disciple that followed Jesus? Who would you think? He's always outspoken. Simon Peter, the outspoken disciple, did he not on the same night Jesus was betrayed? deny Christ three times and this is like the team captain if you will <laughs> like Simon Peter but in his day they knew to identify with Christ was a big deal and it could cost you something it should still be costly for us today to take up our cross and identify with Christ no matter the cost it's not only a matter of identity it's a matter of sacrifice um, I don't know, I, I imagine there might be people in this room who at some point in your life, because of your faith, maybe you've lost friends over that, maybe you've lost comforts over that. I think of friends of mine this morning, I know uh, two guys are on my mind who, who live overseas. One guy is a missionary in, at an orphanage in Africa, and I'm hoping he can actually come uh, to share with us at church when they come home, but and they've had a lot going on there, not only with COVID, but with government things and things like that. And, but to think about the sacrifice he made with his family to leave the comforts we have here to go there where they don't have comforts. And to see that his faith costed him comfort, but yet he knows it's worth it to follow Jesus no matter what he calls us to do. You see, if Jesus calls you to something that's uncomfortable or that costs you friends or that costs you other things, if Jesus calls you to that, then it's worth it, regardless of the comfort and the things you lose. I'm afraid as a Christians in America, we've, we've lost that to a, to a degree. Have you denied yourself and have you ta taken up your, your cross? In Jesus' day, if you saw someone taking up a cross and walking with it, you knew that was a one-way street, a one-way journey. You knew that guy wasn't coming back because he was going to his death. It should kind of be that way for us. When you say, I'm a Christian, people should know, okay, from now until his life is over, he's on a one-way street, and that street is following Jesus. No, Jesus said in another place, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. None of us likes to suffer, but Jesus says that following him will can bring about suffering. As a matter of fact, in Acts 14, 22, it says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Another place, you, you're familiar with Galatians 2, 20, where it says, I've been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Does your faith, has your faith ever costed you anything? I mean, living it out, following Jesus, has that ever costed you? Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing 
is worth nothing. It's pretty powerful. I'm going to say it again. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Then I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, where he said, very simply, he said, I die daily. And I think you noticed that. Look in the verse again. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every Sunday morning at 1030. It's not what it says, right? Daily. Following Jesus is a daily attitude of humility and service and sacrifice. And I think we all need that reminder. When life gets busy, when life gets crazy, when things get hard, that every day should be a, a, a new day where we serve Jesus afresh. Let's look at the final one. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily. And then what does it say? He must follow me. I, I've seen it so often in church in the past where people will, and I've, I've done this before too, where you have somebody come to your church and do a discipleship training. And they'll come and train. That can be really good, by the way. But or you'll have a class called discipleship, discipleship class. Those can be good too. But discipleship is not just a class or a program you go through. Where at the end of the program you're like, okay, you're now officially a disciple. Good job. Discipleship is our lives. It is following Jesus in faith, love, and obedience. And if you don't have that relationship with Christ where you are following him, then I would say you're not a Christian. In the New Testament, people who said, I'm a Christian, truly followed Jesus. Were they perfect? No. Did they mess up all the time? Even denying Christ at times like Peter did? But believers follow. That was the way they, that's the way they went. Have any of you guys ever seen the show uh, The Mandalorian? On Disney Plus? Nobody? Okay. No, nobody watches TV, just me. Okay. But there's a show called The Mandalorian. It's like a Star Wars type thing, if you're not familiar with it. And they have this saying. And what's the saying? This is the way. Thank God. Okay. I don't want to be a nerd and say it. <laughs> I think it's awesome. So, this is the way. And this is the way is their little saying on the show. And I, I don't know all about it, but it's like this. There are a group of people, and when they say this is the way, it means, you know, this is what we're going to do. We, we're, going, we're the hunter and the prey. We're going to look out for each other, and I think it also has something to do with their helmets. They don't ever take their helmets off. But it's like a saying that says this is the way. It's, it's, it's their creed they've sworn on, and I may have butchered it, but that's what I think it is. But did you know in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, that Christianity is called the way? They're like, there's some people over here, and this is in Acts chapter 9, and they're following the way. And what was the way in the book of Acts? The way in the book of Acts was to, to meet together regularly with other Christians, to study the Bible, to pray, to give to one another, to encourage one another, and to experience suffering, which they did. And it was called, in those early times, the way. This is the way. It is my belief that very few people actually follow Jesus and instead follow a casual form of religion. But when people 
follow a casual form of religion, that is not the way. The way is to follow Jesus in faith, love, and obedience. I'll give you a couple quotes here. Someone said, Jesus didn't invite us to become theologians or Bible scholars. He didn't call us to become religious. He didn't ask us to join a club or political action committee. He asked us to follow him. Another person said this about discipleship. His name is David Platt. He said, followers of Jesus don't always know where they are going, but they always know who they are with. Are you following Jesus? The way, the way is worth it, though it may be tough. And I wanted to read you some of these. These people that Jesus talked to, if you go back and read the context of Luke 9, you'll see that Jesus sent the disciples out to preach. They've come back to him. He feeds the 5,000. And so it's Jesus and his disciples doing all these great things, and he's teaching them, and he, he makes this, ver- this quote to them. But these disciples took it to heart. They didn't just go, you know what, Jesus, great message. See you next Sunday, you know. See you next week. They took it to heart. As a matter of fact, let me just share, share with you. The Apostle John, as best we can tell, was the only of these disciples who died of natural causes. But he, uh, the tradition goes, he was actually put into a, a, a tub of oil boiling oil and survived it but he was also persecuted and, and cast out to the island of patmos where he received the revelation but the apostle john went through a lot in his service to christ how about matthias the disciple who replaced judas iscariot he uh, the tra- tradition says he was sent to syria with andrew and he was killed by being burned simon the zealot uh, the disciple simon the zealot ministered in persia and he was killed because they wanted him to They wanted him to sacrifice to this false god. He would not do it. He was killed. How about James? Uh, James, they said he he ministered in Syria. And the story goes that James was actually, this James was actually stoned and clubbed to death. Bartholomew, the disciple Bartholomew, he he had many different missionary travels, historically speaking, and uh, went to India and, and to other places. And there's so many different accounts. I don't know how he died, but the accounts are that he was killed for his faith. How about Matthew, the the tax collector? Uh, He ministered in several places as well. um, And I've read that he was stabbed to death uh, for Christ. Philip. Philip had a powerful ministry uh, in North Africa and Asia. Philip also somehow led this Roman leader's wife to Christ. And when the leader found out that It was his preaching that led her to Jesus. Uh, They arrested him and had him him cruelly uh, put to death. How about Thomas? Thomas was an active servant of Christ, and he went and preached in India and other places. Um, The story, the tradition says that he was speared to death by soldiers. Andrew, the disciple by which one of my sons is named after, um, he... He went and preached the gospel in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He preached in Greece, and it's said that he was crucified in Greece. How about Paul? In, in the year 66 A.D. or so, Paul was beheaded for Christ. And then, of course, Simon Peter, uh, about the same time, 
was crucified upside down, tradition says that Peter did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord, so he was crucified upside down. These are the, the standard of the faith. Of course, Jesus is the standard, but you know what I mean, as far as humanly speaking. And almost they all experienced suffering and persecution. And they almost all died for their faith. And listen, I know the reality is, for maybe all of us, none of us may die for our faith. And that's a blessing in a sense, isn't it? I mean, but, but though we may not die for Jesus, we should certainly live for him, right? And if it comes to that, then I hope that he would help us to, to do that faithfully, as some have done even recently around the world. But we should be living for him, following him. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and going after him. In John 6, I was telling you this earlier. Jesus has done all these miracles. He's fed the thousands, and they're gathered around like, what are you going to do next, Jesus? They're, they're wanting to see his miracles. It's like a show for them, you know. And, and though he's doing great things, helping people, he's preaching the gospel, calling people to follow him. And he begins to teach in John 6 about uh, kind of taking his, his body and his blood, and he's speaking about salvation. But people get confused, and they're like, this guy's kind of getting weird on us. <laughs> and so these thousands of people just leave Jesus. And Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says, are you going to go too? And that reminds me of just our world today. So many people are not following Jesus. They've had enough, or they've just decided to follow after something else, or the world. And as Jesus looked at those disciples and said, are you going to go too? I, I wish you would ask yourself that this morning. Am I going to go the way of Jesus, or am I going to go the way of the world? Which way am I going to go? And those disciples looked at him and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God, they said, where else can we go? They knew that at that point they were going to follow Jesus to the end. And I hope we all know that this morning. I hope we've settled that, that we've been saved by grace through faith and that we aim to follow Jesus from now until he takes us home to be with him. Let's bow.